0: This is the final part of Don Bosco's vision of hell. In order to merit from all the graces God is giving us in hearing about this dream, I ask that everyone pause the video and pray a Hail Mary to Our Lady Help of Christians, who Don Bosco loved so much. And now, on to the final part. You're watching The Miracles and Prophecies of St. John Bosco, a project of America Needs Fatima. I'm your host, Matthew Miller. Come inside, then, my friend went on, and see how our good almighty God lovingly provides a thousand means for guiding your boys to penance and saving them from everlasting death. He took my hand and led me into the cave. As I entered, I was suddenly transported into a magnificent hall with crystal doors and curtains covering more entrances to the cavern. Above one door, I read this inscription, The Sixth Commandment. My guide pointed to it, exclaiming, Transgressions of this commandment have caused the eternal ruin of many youths. But didn't they go to confession? They did, but they omitted or insufficiently confessed sins against the beautiful virtue of purity by saying, for example, that they had committed those sins two or three times when it was actually four or five. Other boys may have committed that sin only once in their childhood, but were ashamed to confess it, or did so insufficiently. Still others were not really sorry, nor made a sincere resolution to avoid it in the future. Some, instead of examining their conscience, even spent time trying to figure out how best to deceive their confessor. He who dies in this state of mind chooses to be among the damned, and is doomed for all eternity. Only those truly repentant who die hoping for eternal salvation will be forever happy. Now do you want to see why God's mercy has brought you here? My guide lifted the curtain, and I saw a group of oratory boys, all known to me, who were there because of this sin. Some whose conduct seems to be good were among them. I asked, Will you at least now let me write their names to warn them individually? He answered, It's not necessary. What then do you suggest I tell them? Always preach against immodesty. A generic warning is enough, but remember that some will promise to amend if you admonish them individually, but will not always do so in earnest. God's grace is needed to have a firm resolution and it will not be denied to your boys if they pray. God manifests his power especially by being merciful and forgiving. On your part, pray and make sacrifices. Let them listen to your admonitions and consult their conscience, which will tell them what to do. After we spent a half hour discussing the requisites to make a good confession— My guide exclaimed several times in a loud voice, Avertere! Avertere! What do you mean by that? I asked. Change your life. Stunned, I bowed my head as if about to withdraw, but he held me back and said, You haven't seen everything yet. He turned and lifted another curtain with this inscription that was a verse taken from the first epistle to Timothy. Qui volunt divites fieri." incidunt in tentationum et laquium diaboli. Those who long to be rich fall prey to temptation and the snares of the devil. I countered, This doesn't apply to my boys, because they're as poor as I am. We neither are nor want to be rich. It doesn't cross our minds. However, as the curtain was lifted, I saw a group of boys all known to me, like those I had seen earlier, They were in pain. My guide said, pointing to them, "'As you can see, the inscription does apply to your boys.' "'How so? Can you explain?' I asked. He said, "'For example, some of your boys are attached to material possessions, so their love of God is lessened, and they sin against charity, piety, and meekness. The mere desire for riches can corrupt one's heart,' especially if that desire violates the virtue of justice. While your boys are poor, remember that greed and idleness are evil counselors. One of your boys has committed substantial thefts in his town and is not thinking of making restitution, even though he could do so. Others try to break into the pantry or the prefect's or purveyor's office, rummage in their colleagues' trunks for food, money, or other objects, steal stationery and books. After naming these and other boys, he said, Some are here for having stolen clothing items, linen, blankets, and coats from the oratory wardrobe to send them home. Others for serious damage woefully done. Still others for not returning what they had borrowed, or for keeping money supposed to be handed over to their superior. Then he concluded, Now that you know who they are, advise them to reject vain and harmful desires to obey God's law and to jealously safeguard their good name. Otherwise, greed will lead them to baleful excesses and plunge them into sorrow, death, and damnation. I couldn't understand why infractions the boys thought so little of led to such dreadful punishments. My guide interrupted my thoughts. Remember what you were told when seeing the spoiled grapes on the vine. He thus lifted another curtain, hiding many of our oratory boys. I instantly recognized them all. An inscription on the curtain read, Radix Omnium Malorum, the root of all evils. Then he asked me, Do you know what this means? What sin is it? To me it would seem like pride. No, he answered. But I've always heard that pride is the root of all evil. Generally speaking it is but do you know the particular fault that led Adam and Eve to commit the first sin and which led to their being driven away from the earthly paradise? Disobedience? Yes, precisely. Disobedience is the root of all evil. What should I tell my boys about this point? Listen carefully. The boys you see here are preparing a tearful end for themselves by being disobedient. So-and-so and and -and so-and-so, who you think went to bed, leave the dormitory in the wee hours to roam about the playground. Disobeying orders, they go into dangerous construction areas and up scaffolds, endangering their lives. Others go to church but misbehave, ignoring the rules. They daydream or cause disturbances instead of praying. Some find a comfortable position to doze off during services, while others only make believe they're going to church but stay away. Woe to those who neglect prayer. They who do not pray doom themselves. Some boys are here because they read frivolous or even forbidden books instead of singing hymns or reciting the little office of the Blessed Virgin. He mentioned other serious disciplinary disorders. I was deeply moved when he finished and looked him in the eye asking, Can I mention all this to my boys? You can surely tell them all you remember. What advice should I give them to save them from such a catastrophe? Keep insisting that they will be saved by obeying God, the church, their parents, and superiors, even in small things. Any other instructions? Warn them against idleness, which led David to sin and to keep always busy to deny the devil any opportunity to tempt them. I bowed my head, and I promised I would do so. I was so dismayed that I could only say, Thank you for being so charitable to me, and please help me get out of here. He said, Come with me. To encourage me, he took my hand and held me up as I could barely keep standing. We left that hall and quickly went back through that horrible courtyard and the long entrance corridor. As soon as we stepped across the last bronze portal, he turned to me and said, "'Now that you have seen the torments that others suffer, you too must experience a bit of hell.' "'No, no!' I cried, terrified. He insisted, but I kept refusing. "'Fear not,' he said. "'Just touch this wall.' I had lacked the courage to do it and tried to flee, but he held me back, insisting, "'Try it.' He gripped my arm firmly and pulled me to the wall, commanding, "'Touch it at least once so you can say you saw and touched the walls of Eternal Torments. That way you will be able to understand what the last wall must be like if this first wall is so unbearable. "'Do you see this wall?' I carefully looked at the wall, which seemed incredibly thick. He continued, There are a thousand walls between this one and the real hellfire of hell. It is surrounded by one thousand walls, each a thousand meters thick and equally distant from the next. Each measure is a thousand miles, so this wall stands millions of miles from hell's real fire. It is but a remote suburb of hell proper. I instinctively pulled back as he said that, but he seized my hand, opened it, and pressed it against the stone of that first of a thousand walls. I felt such a burning pain that I jumped back with a loud scream. I immediately found myself sitting up in bed with a burning hand, which I kept rubbing to ease the pain. I noticed it was really swollen as I got up in the morning. Just that dream of having my hand pressed against the wall felt so real that the skin of my palm later peeled off. Note that I have not described these things in all their horror as I saw them, as they impressed me so as not to frighten you too much. As we know, our lord always used symbols to portray hell because we wouldn't have understood him if he described it as it really is. No mortal can understand these things. The Lord knows and reveals them to whoever He wants. Still upset by this frightening dream, I was unable to fall asleep over the next several nights. I only have given you a short summary of extremely long dreams. Later, I'll tell you about human respect, the Sixth and Seventh Commandments, and pride. I'll explain these dreams without more ado because they're fully according to the Holy Scriptures and are only a commentary on their teachings concerning these matters. I told you a few things some nights ago, but whenever I have a chance, I'll tell you the rest and explain it. And with that, Don Bosco descended from the podium. As promised, Don Bosco later narrated a summarized version of this dream to the boys at Mirabello and Lonzo. In doing so, he introduced variations— but made no substantial changes. The true Catholic can be serene, joyous, or even lively. He can be whatever is permissible by the commandments, but he must have a permanent foundation of seriousness. Look at St. John Bosco's picture. We see charity, tranquility, and serenity, but above all, we see a profound seriousness. But why? because everything in life is serious, and we're dealing with the gravest and most serious thing that exists every day of our lives, our eternal destiny. Above all, for the Catholic, there is a celestial medicine for carrying the cross of seriousness, expressed in the ineffable words, Salve Regina, Hail Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy, our life, our sweetness, and our hope. Pray to Our Lady and make her smile, One smile from her gives us the strength for a hundred years of seriousness. Thank you all so much for watching, and if you missed the other three parts to this dream, I've put a playlist on the screen with all the videos you need to hear, as well as another video in which Don Bosco miraculously cures a boy's head trauma. God bless you, and our lady keep you.